The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm going to share with you a very practical message today that will have profound implications for your life if you will begin to do what I'm suggesting. It's not hard. I'll make it simple and plain. This is for a person who desires a closeness with Jesus. Now, I'm going to read for you two passages of Scripture. It is fairly long. Be patient and just listen carefully. And then I'm going to walk through with you the very practical implications of these Scriptures. The first one is 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Now let's pray. Lord, Lord Jesus, as I open these scriptures, I'm asking, will you send forth your Holy Spirit and grab a hold of every person listening right now 
Don't let them turn away, but cause them to listen to the entire broadcast that their lives could be set on a track for heaven. Lord, would you make a difference today by your spirit, by your blood, Jesus? Would you make a difference today in the hearts of the people who listen? Will you quicken them now? Make them alert and alive and eager for your presence. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil as they did. Do not be idolaters. As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did. They were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Very clearly saying that what we read in Exodus has a very spiritual meaning. I'm going to share some of that spiritual meaning today in a very practical manner. Now, Let's go to Exodus, the 16th chapter. Exodus, the 16th chapter. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So they are a month and a half into their journey, They have consumed all of the food that they have brought with them out of Egypt. It says, In the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. That's the reading of the NIV, but if you go to the actual Hebrew, they use the Lord's name as a curse. They use it in vain. They said, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. They're lying. They were slaves. They couldn't sit around the flesh pots and celebrate and eat all they wanted. They continue, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down. Now, what is he going to rain down? He's not going to rain down fire and brimstone. He's not going to rain down judgment. In the beginning, God is extremely patient, merciful, and kind, hoping to turn us from our wicked ways. He says, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. 
The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instruction. On the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron went to all the Israelites. In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. In the morning you will see his glory, the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? You well know that it was the Lord when he gave you meat to eat in the evening and the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Now, let's make some very practical applications of what I just shared with you. Let me move my Bible. Here we go. Now, let's walk through this story with some very practical understandings. First, it's very clear that God is going to supply them with food. And he's going to supply them for 40 years. Now, I want you to understand the the depth of this miracle, this supernatural gift. I was in Israel, and our guide, I asked him if he was a practicing Jew. He said, I am a cultural Jew. I said, well, what do you do with the giving of the manna in the desert to God's people? He said, oh, that's easy. There was a tree in the desert that produced this thing they called manna, and they ate that while they were in the desert. I said, could you show me in the desert? We're going to go soon into the desert. Could you show me one of those trees? I'd like to taste it. He said, oh, it's not there anymore. Oh, so you believe the stories of the Old Testament are just myth. You don't believe in a personal God. No, he said, I don't. How can I? I said, how can you not believe in a personal God? Look what he's done for your people. And I began to recount. Each incident I remembered before the Lord. And this man discounted each one with a hard heart. I finally said to him, I'm planning to build in Israel. He said, oh, where are you planning to build? I said, I'm planning to build up on the Mount of Olives. He threw his head back in laughter. He said, you can't build on the Mount of Olives? Nobody can live up there. I said, oh, you watch. That same God who gave you the manna is going to come down from the heavens and he's going to put his foot on the top of Mount Olives and it's going to split apart and become a plain and a city is going to come out of the heavens called the New Jerusalem. I'd like you to be there. I'm going to be there. I'd like you to be there. He threw his head up and laughed and walked away. Well, let's talk about manna. A conservative estimate of the total number of Israelites who came out of Egypt would be, conservatively, 2 million. They had 600,000 men able to go forth to war, that is, men who were over the age of 20 and under the age of 50. Now, they were to collect an omer each day for each person who was in their tent. Now, if you have two million people, an omer is equivalent to six pints. That would be 12 million pints, or nine million pounds gathered daily, which was 4,500 tons. Hence, if they were to have a train come into the desert to supply them, they would have to have 10 trains of, this is amazing, 
they'd have to have 10 trains, each having 30 cars, and each car having 15 tons for a single day supply. Over a million tons of manna were gathered every year by Israel. And that continued for 40 years. They'd never seen manna before, and they said, what is it? And that's what the word manna means. What is it? It was not a product of the earth. It was not manufactured by man in some factory. It was not something which Israel brought with them out of Egypt. They had no manna there. This manna, supernaturally, came down from heaven as a gift from the hand of God. It was a perfectly balanced meal. Now, the manna fell right where the people were. In the morning, the dew lay round about the host, and when they when the dew was gone in the morning, the whole face of the Israelite nation around them, in front of their tent, out beyond their tent, on the ground lay a small round piece of bread. They didn't have to take a long journey. It was right around them. And just outside of their tent. Now, I want to say something. I'm going to now apply manna to Scripture, to the Logos, or the written Word of God, to the Logos, the person of Jesus Christ, and I'll speak more about that next Monday, and also the Rhema, word of God that is quickened to us and spoken by the Spirit to us. It is the word of God to us. Now, the scriptures are accessible to every one of us. Sometimes I wonder if the Bible were harder to get a hold of if you had to travel to Asia or Europe to find a Bible if it would not be more precious to us. Now, this manna, as it lay on the ground, they either had to trample it beneath their feet, or they had to collect it. It was right there for them to determine what they would do with it. You also are obligated to do one of two things with the scriptures. You either gather it into your soul or you despise it and trample it beneath your feet. You either neglect it or you eat it. How many times have you sat with your Bible on the shelf or on the end table and your hand reaches for the television control? Not the Bible. Now, another fact about the scriptures, the manna was small in size. Who would have imagined that the entire revelation from God about how a person could be totally transformed and made into a new creature, who would have imagined that the whole revealed word of God could be found in one book that you could put in your pocket and carry with you wherever you went. Everything that was needed to make you wise unto salvation, to sustain your soul throughout your entire pilgrimage on the earth, everything that was needed to make you perfect, complete, is in that little book. The little manna could also just be picked up. It was white in color. 
symbolizing that the scriptures are pure. The scriptures are clean. The words of the Lord are pure as silver that's gone through the fire. It's been purified. The word is very pure. And David learned to love it. King David. Now, let's come to the very practical part. The manna was not to just be looked at. It was not a decoration laying out on the ground like snow that we could look at and say, isn't that beautiful? Look at the snow. No, the manna was meant to be eaten. Now, this is the most practical and important point I can speak to you. When you sit down to eat, you do three things. One You take from what's on the table and you serve yourself or someone serves you a portion of what's on that table. There's no way you can eat everything on a Thanksgiving table. Now, you can try, but you will overeat and you will be miserable. There's too much food on the table to eat everything. So, so it is with the scriptures. There's too much there. You'll never assimilate everything that's in the scriptures. I've been reading the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. I stopped counting after 50 times. I do this a number of times every year, reading from Genesis to Revelation. And then I spend much time with that scripture looking at it but it has to become more than looking at it I was recently in a beautiful restaurant a friend had invited me and treated me to a a wonderful meal I noticed the table next to me four ladies who had just retired from the court system and they were there to celebrate and they ordered the special for the evening Let me tell you what the special was. It was a large lobster tail in the shell. It was beautiful portions of beef, tender and delicious in a rich gravy. It was mashed potatoes. It was a vegetable. Some had asparagus, some had green beans. You could choose the vegetable you wanted. And that came on a plate, a large plate, and it was beautiful. And I overheard these women ooing and aahing over this meal, taking pictures of it. And they said, we can never eat all this food. This is incredible. Well, the waiter said, we'll be happy to box it up and you can take it home and eat it tomorrow or share it with your family. They all agreed, that's what we'll do. So the food was there in front of them. They began to eat it. Now, what do I mean? Well, the scriptures have more food than you can ever appropriate. It's a library. Some are going to focus on reading just the Psalms. Others are going to read just the Gospels. Others are going to read the Pauline epistles or the epistles written by Peter or or Jude or the Apostle Paul. It's too much to eat in one meal. I've been eating it for years and I haven't even begun to touch the depth of the scriptures. So, The first step to gaining spiritual food is to choose a portion of Scripture and put it on your plate. Now, it's better to read one verse of Scripture and begin to chew on that 
and swallow that than it is to speed read 10 chapters. That will give you indigestion and you'll quickly forget what you read. You see, after you have taken a serving of food on your plate, the next step is to begin to chew on it. I want to share specifically and practically what I'm saying. In Mark, the 11th chapter, verse 22, And Jesus, having answered, says to them, You must have faith from God. Literally, in the Greek, you must have God's faith. God is the source of that faith. You must have God's faith. Well, if I'm going to begin to chew on this passage, I've got to begin to look at the words that are used. I have to ask. It's saying that I am obligated to have faith. It doesn't say you might find faith and if you find God's faith then you might be able to do something no this is very specific you must have you must have okay Lord help me understand first what is this faith from you and why why must I have it Well, if I want to get anything from the Lord God of heaven, I know other scriptures that say, without faith it's impossible to please God. So I begin to recognize that if I'm going to come to Jesus, it's going to have to be God doing something for me. I can't just show up in the prayer room and say, okay, God, here's what I want. No, I have to humbly come into the prayer closet and must admit to the Lord what degree of faith I have from him. This morning I was barely awake about 5 o'clock. It was 4.20, 4.30, and on into 5. And a lot of fear had risen up in my heart. I recognized it for what it was. It was hunger. I was starving. I needed food. So immediately, I began to remember, you must have faith from God, and I began to ask God to fill my heart with faith. Well, what is faith? You remember Hebrews, the first chapter, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, Faith is being certain about what I don't see. So, I have to have, for my spiritual life, I have to have faith. I have to have an absolute assurance that what I don't see is from God. Now, that means I'm going to have to have a promise. Every person in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, I know this because I've studied it carefully, I've meditated upon it. Every person in Hebrews 11 had a promise that they stood on. Faith is impossible without a promise. You have to have faith in something. You have faith in God via a promise that he has made to you. And so, as I look at this, I have to have faith, but that faith has to come from God. It has to be his faith. The only possible way I can gain that faith is by a promise of God. Peter tells us that the way we participate in the divine nature are through the precious promises of God. So I have to have faith that comes from God. I have to have a promise 
that I can stand on and believe. And that faith is from God. Now, now truly I say to you that whoever may say to this mountain, wait a minute, what is a mountain? It's a huge pile of rocks and dirt. I can't move that mountain. There's no way I can move that mountain. I can take a shovel and work on that mountain for the rest of my life, and I'll barely make a dent in that mountain. So he's saying, if you want to deal with mountains, mountains of debt, mountains of pain, mountains of discouragement, despair, you're going to have to have a promise from God And you're going to have to have God's faith to even begin to look at that mountain. Else you will be utterly discouraged and hopeless. That whoever may say to this mountain, you be lifted up and be thrown into the sea and may not waver in his heart, but believe that what he says happens, whatever he may say will be done for him. Well, wait a minute. So what I need to have happen is done for me by God based on the promise and based on faith from God. Well, needless to say, I've spent days, weeks, months meditating on this passage of Scripture in Luke the 11th chapter, verses 22 through 24. One preacher went to visit one of the members that was shut in, that couldn't get out to church. And he came in, and she said to him immediately, Pastor, would you, would you mind reading some scriptures to me? Oh, no, I'd be happy to. So he took the Bible and he opened to the passages that she asked him to open to. And he began to read chapters of Scripture to her. And he noticed in the columns, someone had written in a T, and then someone had written in in other places a T and a P. And he finally, in curiosity, said, Sister, what is this T and what is this TP? And she laughed and said, Oh, those are promises of God. The T stands for tried. The P stands for proven. So she had certain promises that she'd tried but had not been fulfilled yet. But when the promise was fulfilled, she wrote a P beside it, tried and proven. Now, You can't spend a few minutes and expect to eat a full meal. You're going to have to take that scripture. Look at Luke, the 11th chapter. So I say to you, you must keep on asking and it will be given to you. Lord, what do you want me to ask for? This is what I think I need, but what do you think I need? And so I'm going to begin listening. I'm going to begin knocking. I'm going to be asking God. Then Now, which father of you, if the son will ask for bread, he will not give him a stone, will he? Or even a fish, he will not, instead of a fish, give him a snake, will he? Or even if he might ask for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father from heaven give the Holy Spirit to the one who asks him? Now, let's be clear. We're talking here literally about coming into faith in God and using the scriptures 
taking our portion. Another wonderful portion would be to take Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. What does that mean? Are you your own shepherd, or is Jesus your shepherd? Now, if you're going to put the 23rd Psalm on your plate, you know you've put too much. It'll it'll weigh you down. You won't be able to eat all of that. Not if you begin to chew promise by promise, word by word. So look at the words individually and then look at them together and begin to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And let faith build in your heart. This morning as I began to go over the scriptures, as I chewed on them, as I chewed on his word to me, my fear was removed. My concern was removed. A smile was on my face. I began to praise and honor and worship Jesus because he's so awesome. His mercies are new every morning. But please, do you understand what I'm saying to you? If you just read a scripture, close your Bible, and go on to work, you will soon forget that scripture. And you will not have gotten any food value out of it. And then you're going to turn to things in the world to eat. Last night, I came home and I was a little hungry. And I had caramel popcorn I could eat. I looked at it and I said, that's what I'd like. But I haven't had any dinner. So, no, I don't want to eat junk food. So, I ended up eating real solid, stable protein, vegetables. And I was filled. And I was strengthened. And now I'm fasting. I haven't had anything to eat yet. I'm doing intermittent fasting because I have some weight I want to lose and because the Holy Spirit has led me to that. And so I won't eat again until probably six. Am I hungry? Yes, I recognize it as hunger. I want that hunger to grow in me. Food is insatiable. It's insatiable. It's, I can't get enough when I'm hungry. And what I do when I fast is I use that physical hunger to me toward Jesus. And that physical translates into the spirit to draw me more and more deeply into reading the scriptures. So sometimes I'll fast for one or two or even three days, sometimes even five days a week. Why? Well, it cleanses my body. But more than that, that physical hunger is easily translated into hunger for Jesus and the reading of the scriptures. The chewing on the scriptures. See, manna is to be eaten. The scriptures are of no value to you as long as they sit on your shelf and you chow down on the redskins. Or you chow down on the television. What you're doing is eating poison to your soul. Everything that you take in through your eyes and through your ears, through your mouth, it goes into you. We are what we eat. So if your primary concern is the world, you'll have no taste for the word of God. And when you try to read it, you'll go to sleep. Many years ago, when I was in that condition and I began to read the word of God, I couldn't read it. I would go to sleep. 
And finally, I had to actually get upset with myself and stand up and walk around and read it out loud. This was after the Lord said, turn the television off. Now, let's be very practical. You cannot eat everything and then still eat more. If your stomach is full of demonic spiritual food, you will have no room and no interest in eating spiritual food. You have a given capacity to absorb the truth of God. And if you are absorbing the world and the flesh and the devil, you will have no interest in the deep things of Scripture. So manna is to be eaten, it's to be chewed, and then it's to be swallowed. So, when you sit down at the table of the Lord, you must take what you read and apply it to yourself. So, just as we appropriated our Lord Jesus and call him our Lord and our Savior, or my Lord and my Savior, we have to make the promises and precepts of God's word practical. So, as I read the passage of Scripture for you in Luke, the 11th chapter, ask and it shall be given you, seek and ye shall find, and so forth, you must understand you're asking for you. It must become personal. You must apply the scriptures that you read to your own life, to your own situation. The only way you can do that is through meditation. You need to understand what God's will is for you. And the only way you can understand that is by putting the word of God on your plate, taking a hold of it and beginning to chew it, and then when it's time to swallow it. You must take it into yourself. You must appropriate it, you must chew it, and you must then swallow it. Some of you have never learned how to use the Word of God. You've never learned to meditate on the Word of God. What do I mean? I mean reading it over and over, asking questions of every word, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to your life exactly what he wants you to learn by reading this promise or this scripture. You must turn that passage of scripture over and over in your mind, asking, Holy Spirit, would you open this word to me? Now, let me be very specific. As you choose a specific passage of scripture for that day, You need to write it down, write it out on a piece of paper, put it in your pocket, and then carry it with you through the day. And as you go through your day, without hurrying, you take it out and you read it again. And soon it will be memorized. Meditation is the same as chewing your food, your physical food. You need to pray over it, and you need to ask God, what is the blessing you have for me in this given passage of Scripture? And as you do that, you will notice yourself beginning to grow in strength in the Spirit. Discouragement will be banished from your life, unbelief will be banished from your life, and you will begin to grow strong. Now, some of you want to go to church on Sunday. You want to listen to what is taught, and then you want to go home and live your own life. Well, it's like going to a meal and trying to eat enough for your entire week. You can't do it. 
You'll be miserable. You'll have indigestion. Now, each day, you have to take what you gather. They were to go out and gather every day that manna. And if they brought it in and kept it overnight, it would have maggots in it. It would spoil. You have to go out day by day and gather this manna, read this scripture, understand and meditate. Pastor, what you're talking about is going to take time. Yes, it is. How much time have you spent so far this week watching television? Have you spent a comparable or equal amount of time reading your scriptures? I'm I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just asking you very honest questions. Have you spent as much time reading your scriptures as you have spent eating physical food? I used to say to people who would ask me, stop eating until you've read the scriptures and meditated and chewed. So if it's going to take you 10 minutes to eat breakfast, be sure you spend at least 10 minutes in scripture. If it's going to take you a half hour or an hour for lunch, spend at least that amount of time also in scripture. If you're going to spend an hour eating dinner or more, spend a comparable amount reading the scriptures. Your spiritual body needs to be nourished and strengthened so that you can be strong in the Lord. Now, it's also of note that the manna was gathered in the morning, and when the sun came out, it burned off the manna. So you either had to be out early in the morning, or you lost the food for the day. It's the same thing with God. You need to be up early, even if it means going to bed early and shutting off the television and the day's activities go to bed a little earlier, and get up early. And in the morning, the first thing you want to do is take a good long drink of Scripture and put it right on your plate and begin to chew on it so that your heart begins to be fed as soon as you awaken because many of us have learned that when we awaken, that's a favorite time for the devil to come with accusations and judgments. It's a wonderful time for the devil to come and cause you to turn aside to wickedness. No, first thing in the morning, begin to praise and worship our Lord. Begin to read his word. Now, I need to say one more thing about this. It was work to go gather that manna. It was there for the taking, but they had to get down on their knees to gather it. If you want the bread of heaven, you're going to have to work at it. It's not easy to chew your food and swallow it and go through all the preparation and the the cleanup afterward. It's not easy either together the truth of God. It takes preparation and thought. Then it takes putting the word on your plate, chewing on it, meditating on it, and then applying it specifically to you so that if something is revealed about you that is wrong, some something you're doing that you shouldn't be doing, and the Holy Spirit has you reading the word and he convicts you, then immediately give that thing to Jesus. It has to be applied. You have to swallow the word of God. You can't spit it out. You swallow it. Now, some of it's going to taste sweeter than honey. Other things are not going to taste so sweet because they will convict you of your life's sin. And they will tell you, don't go that way. That's the way of death. So the children of Israel had to work at getting it. Some of you like to go to church and be spoon-fed. 
Some of you want to just deal with the intellectual stuff. That doesn't help you. What if you sat down and just ate intellectual stuff for your mind? Would your body be satisfied? No. No, you have to eat real food. And it has to be taken into the body. And the stomach digests it. Strength flows into your muscles. Yesterday afternoon, I was feeling very weak. After the broadcast, I I knew I needed to do something. I was reading the scriptures and, and thinking about what I'd said and praying to the Lord about you. And in the midst of that, I began to get very sleepy. So I knew I had to go get some nourishment. See, we know when our body needs nourishment, but our spiritual body we utterly ignore. And then we feast on things of darkness and we fill ourselves up with things that lead us into sin and wonder, why is my spirit so dead when I come to Jesus? Well, it's starved to death. Some of you are anorexic spiritually. You'll eat a little bottle of baby food on Sunday morning and you'll say, well, that's enough. One man went to a worship service and when he, he left, he said, I'm starving. There was, there was no food there. There was, there was no Holy Spirit presence. There was no conviction of sin, no arrows of the Holy Spirit. It was empty. Shame on that pastor. It's our responsibility to give you something to chew on. But it's not for us to supply all of your nurturance. You have to get that for yourself early in the morning, on your knees, searching that passage of Scripture and breaking it down and saying, Lord, I need you today. Give me understanding. Well, we're out of time for today. I'm going to come back at this. We will be pre-recorded tomorrow. I'm taking it as a day of rest and prayer and scripture. But I'll be back next Monday and we'll continue with the story of the manna as we look at Jesus, the person, as the bread of life. I hope today's been helpful to you. If you have questions, you're welcome to call me, email me, I pray that Jesus is moving in your heart and calling you deep. He loves you. He died for you. He doesn't want you to starve to death. He wants you to eat and grow strong in the Spirit. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'd love to hear from you. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Or just Google National Prayer Chapel and come to a map and information about this ministry, including a phone number and address. I love you, my brother, my sister. I am laying my life down that you could be spiritually strong. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory